everywhere along the line of experience, whether you're at school, whether it's in your family dynamics with your siblings or with your parents or with your guardians, somebody would have spoken something over you and it would have had an impact and it would have shook you and it would have stayed with you. And you might not even realise that it formed you and it shaped you and it's dictated your future. And that needs to be interrupted. And I just needed to interrupt my own thought process and a a thought process of others for those that were interested. Welcome back to another season of Third Culture Africans. I'm proud to say Africa's number one award-winning career and entrepreneurship podcast voted for by you at the African Podcast and Voice Awards. I am Zezo Ariaki Sal, your host. I'm obsessed with all things entrepreneurship, and our show is dedicated to igniting your entrepreneurial journey, sharing resources, and giving you the tools to pursue your dreams fearlessly. We celebrate artistry and stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, inspiring, motivating, and full of wonder. Discover how those who succeed do it. Your support helps make this show bigger and better. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and join our community with weekly newsletters curated just for you. Let's connect on Instagram and Facebook at Third Culture Africans. Sit back, relax, and let's do this. Thank you, Lydia, for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Thank you. Speaker, coach, consultant, author, innovator, activist, and a champion for diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Does that does that summarize? Summarize. Wife is is missing. Oh, wife. We'll we'll throw in wife. We'll throw in wife. I think that's very important. That's a job in itself. Yeah. yeah, Wonderful. I guess I would love to start with your earlier career. I think for anyone in the UK, I think you know some of your more notable work is something that is used by pretty much every institution in the UK who is trying to understand the Black consumer. Mm-hmm. And you created something called the Black Pound Report. Yeah. You know, briefly summarized. And in your own words, I think, you know, I, I would love for you to share that with the audience. But I think it, it sort of mirrors something something that's happened in the US and mm-hmm. and also in other communities like the Jewish community, where mm-hmm. they understand the value of the spend that is coming out of a community. And I think for most Black people in Europe or across the globe other than Africa, you know, mm-hmm. most are in the diaspora. You know, ev- everyone's not in their natural habitat, are they? Yeah. And I think there's an understanding around economic power that tends to be lacking. I think we're seeing reports now and conversations more around, you know, the success of, you know, hair companies and and slightly different industries where they're realizing that the black consumer, you know, has spending power, you know, for the first time in the last five years, we saw a beauty company bring out enough shades that, catered for a spectrum of darker skin tones, which was never done before. Mm -hmm. And I think some of your work has been instrumental in starting the conversation, but you've had an incredible career before arriving 
at mm-hmm. your current place. Thank you. From, you know, working within institutions like Channel 4, the NFL, mm-hmm. I think your career has very much been geared towards an education of sorts and without using, you know, the buzzword woke. Yeah. But but it's essentially championing an awakening of people, whether that's, you know, you know, black Africans, African-Americans, whites, Caucasians, any culture, but an awakening of an awareness of the other people in the room, mm-hmm. if I've paraphrased that quite well. But I, I think to, to start with, I think I would love to know why you set off on the Black Pound report. I think that's mm-hmm. that's really important, the why. Why create the report? Yeah, why create the report? Okay. So just listening to everything you said there, summary of my career up until now, and then the report and the rooms that I've been in and the places that I've been in. So um, what happened was there was this moment in 2017. I had um, finished reading a book called Think and Grow Rich, um, I'm not too sure if you've heard that book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. So I was reading that book and then I watched the movie because I'm a visual person. And when I watched the movie, there was a gentleman in the movie and his name was Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. Now, um, he had written the book Think and, Grow Rich, Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice. And I said to my husband, I'm going to speak to that man. And he said, okay, here we go. And I said, no, 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 really. I feel it deep inside. I, I'm going to connect with him this weekend. You know, I'm going to get his details. I, I just had a vision. Do you know when you just have a yeah. something that just takes over? Yes. And it makes no sense what you're saying, even to yourself, let alone to the ears that are listening. And that very, that's exactly what I did. I reached out to him. And I, I knew that, as, you know, when you're writing something with such intent and power, I just, I just said, look, this is what's happening. I'll be, I'll be hearing back from him. And I didn't have any doubt that I would hear a response from him that very weekend. And I did. And I yes. set up a call. And a few days later, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough and I were talking on the phone. And I just said to him that um, when he spoke in the movie, that I felt, connected and I needed to reach out to him I said I don't know why I just did so we start talking back and forth and so on and so forth and um, he'd recommended his book to me I hadn't read it by that point because I'd read Think and Grow Rich he told me his story how he got to write the book and and I just thought we always talk about in African communities we talk about generational wealth and we talk about generational blessings and we also Mm -hmm. talk about generational negativity curses whatever the word you want to use and he was speaking to me about the fact that Norman Vincent, uh, not sorry, Norman Vincent, Napoleon Hill, um, Norman Vincent Peale's another person whose book I've read. Um, Napoleon Hill, in the 70s before he passed, he was exploring the African American community in America. And um, he was looking at their spending power and habits and behaviors. And he was beginning to see as there's always been, a lot of wealth within the African um, Caribbean diaspora community. Mm -hmm. It's always been there. It's not a new thing. It's there, if you know your history. And um, it's just that there was a a, a massive break in time. 
but it just seems to be that's the only story that's told and yeah, the, 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 it, I don't know if we've got enough time to go into all that, but oh, basically... we do, we do. Let's <laughs> let's do it. No, but I I just think that history is history, okay? Mm. And many people have been under the power of other people, cultures, backgrounds, other narratives, yeah, yeah, and narratives. It's happened for our history. It's happened to it has it's happened to um Africans, it's happened to the English, it's happened to the Europeans, it's happened to everybody. But as you said earlier on um in the conversation, it's about the stories. Storytelling is powerful and it's about the stories that are listened to to help people form their identity or form opinions and so on and so forth. So he when who writes um, the book tells history. Yeah, exactly. So when um Dennis Kimbrough had mentioned to me that the Mahoney Hill Foundation had reached out to him to complete the manuscript that he had begun. And I said, that's incredible, really. Because if you know the story about Napoleon Hill, back in, the, I think it was in the 1800s, he, was, he went around interviewing people, didn't he, about their wealth and how they attained it. And he didn't come from much at all. Um, he came from poverty, really. And he turned his life around. And he really dedicated himself towards his goal when it made probably no sense to anybody around him, dedicated his life to interviewing people, not getting paid, not getting rewarded, but actually getting rewarded by experience. And something my mum always used to say to me, something you cannot buy is experience. No experience is ever wasted, I say. No, Nothing. you cannot buy it. And you, and you cannot buy it, you know. So sometimes people get, you know, we've all been there where we wonder when is our time going to be when is you know when will that time happen for me everybody listening would have had that moment whether it's in their Mm. marriage or in their relationships Mm -hmm. or in their business or in their career in their health when when will that day come for me when is it coming and um so when I spoke to him I felt really inspired and that was it and then I just sat there after him I speaking to him because he spoke he spoke some fire into my life and I just something I'd always felt that I always wanted myself included in this people to recognize their value and to recognize their worth Mm. because when people do they will make their decision-making process will be very different the aims and ambitions they have for themselves will be very different but when you come from a place internally where maybe you've got insecurities which everybody has Mm -hmm. um, not the right opinion of yourself then that will dictate your future. And that means that you will be responsive to the messages of the media or just conversations of people. So the projected version of somebody onto you does not have to become your reality. But that happens every single day of the week for so many people. And that was it. I didn't know what it would be. And I just thought, okay, well, what I'm doing it is it's is original and it's not original because people have always interviewed people over time, like we're like you're interviewing me today, gaining knowledge, information and insight, and you're sharing it with audiences. Yeah. That's been done. Storytelling has been done since um the world began. So I'm following suits of our creator and what journalists do and what authors do and what speakers do, um, telling stories and changing the narrative of life. And I just knew, I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I just had this real belief that I was going to do this. I had no funding at all. And actually, I didn't seek it. 
the first time around. I didn't want to. I know I could have, but I didn't want to because I wanted to drive this, direct it. I didn't want any input other than my own Mm. into how this Black Power Report research was going to go. I knew it was going to be successful. I didn't know how, what impact it would have, but I just knew that, like I knew, because it came from somewhere else. So it was something that had been gifted to me um, to carry. And that was that. And and, And that was really why it began. So it began from the stories of my own life, um, stories of words that have been spoken over my life, whether from the people closest to me or whether in business or in relationship, because everywhere along the line of experience, whether you're at school, whether it's in your family dynamics with your siblings or with your parents or with your guardians or, you know, with your friends amongst the Mm. the circles that you move within, somebody would have spoken something over you and it would have had an impact and it would have shook you and it would have stayed with you. And you may not even realise that it's formed you and it's shaped you and it's dictated your future. And that needs to be interrupted. And I just needed to interrupt my own thought process and a, and a thought process of others for those that were interested. If we sort of dial back to your early career mm-hmm. and starting from... I guess your initial choice to begin in PR. Yeah. Before Mm -hmm. PR, I think you worked in an agency. I think, you know, you've had a a really, really, really incredible career. (laughs) I think that's one of the things that struck me, um, which was, you know, you've, you've gone from, you know, education into media, into Mm -hmm. sport, Mm -hmm. um, there, there are very few industries, and even like I, I think within your current hat, where you wear multiple hats, mm-hmm. um, you know, worked with Saatchi, etc. Yeah. To begin with, I guess early education that then takes you into the early part of your career, I think would mm-hmm. be would be would be interesting because I, I, I think there's something limitless about your career journey. Yeah. Um, which I'm intrigued to know where that where that would have come from. Where that drive. Um, Yeah. And and Mm. also the inquisitiveness, because I I think oftentimes we're sold this idea that, you know, get a job you're in love with, you'll never work a day in your life or something, you know? Yeah. And, and I, and I think actually it's not necessarily true, is it? Um, Because a large portion of us, of our, of our society are unhappy in their work. Mm, Um, Yeah. But are working because they have they have you know a family to make they ends have meet and so bills yeah. they have mm. you know a lifestyle that they would yeah. like to have and and there's a privilege in choosing um, but there's something in your career journey that has been quite inquisitive moving from sort of sector to sector and even <laughs> transforming your job role so I guess your early career was was as a project coordinator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you've done your work then. You've done your work. Yeah, but it, you began as a, you know, you know, straight out of, you know, education into projects yeah. coordination. Yeah. I, I would love to know, I guess, the beginnings of that. Mm. How, how did that come about? And then how did that evolve into PR? Yeah. And yeah. then into, you know, campaigns, network rail, um, because the, the the undertone of 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 your career has kind of remained the same, yeah. But the choices of I, I hate to say tools, yeah. <laughs> um, but to, to sort of break it down, 
has evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, what happened was, I will take it back to the moment when I was at school, actually. I'll never forget. I enjoyed, we used to have this task in, in our English class, they'd say, the teacher would say, okay, go away and come back on a Monday and write how your weekend was, you know. And it just fed my imagination, you know, fed my imagination, go away, write about, you know, what happens at the weekend. And even if something that weekend wasn't even that great, tidying up, helping around the house, you know, all these chores, you know, it fed my imagination. So I wanted to feed my imagination. I just noticed, I just, my my siblings used to say to me, oh, she's so extra, you know. (laughs) They would say that she's so extra. And I didn't know what that meant, but I'd get lost in things. So, for example, if I was watching, if I was watching, I loved, I used to love watching Saturday matinees and things like that. And I would lose myself in them and they'd just take me on a journey somewhere. So I I, I used to love that. And then I used to, okay, think, okay, well, how can I create something? So I'd create, for example, if I'd be bored, if the entertainment wasn't out there for me, then I thought, let me create it myself. So I'd create something, collect comments, make it into a movie strip, create a box, make it mm. look like it was a revolving cinema. So I'd wrap the thing mm. around and I'd sit Incredible. and I'd watch the picture go really fast. All those sorts mm. of things I would do. But, you know, when sometimes you grow up in an African household, those sort of those sometimes sort of gifts and talents are just seen as, oh, this is such a waste, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what is she doing? <laughs> cutting she paper doing? again. Yeah. Leave my yeah. box. Why are you cutting it? Exactly. You know, all of, the, all of these things. And I, I can see my mum sometimes looking at me thinking, oh, gosh, anyway. But um, she never discouraged me and spoke negativity over me. She just wanted to push me to mm. be the best that I could be, you know, Um, and that was that. She never, I I don't ever recall her ever speaking really anything negative over my life. She'd be speaking tough words over me, (laughs) but, you know, and I felt like it was negativity, but at the time when you can reflect back, it wasn't. And that's only as you grow older, you become a wife and, you know, an auntie and all these different things of life that you experience these things. But one thing she tried to guide me towards, because she came here in the seventies, was to get a job, of course, and to be secure financially. And that meant Very obviously important. making sure that I got my studies and, mm. you know, and she wanted me to move in this particular direction. But the direction that she felt, I felt that she was guiding me towards was to be, um, there's there's two types of secretaries. There's a secretary and there's a secretariat, you know. Mm. So the one, you know, and so she wanted me to do, um, become the latter. But that just wasn't me. You know, and I tried, I tried my very best. And the bosses that I had would tell me how rubbish I was at being a secretary. You know, they would literally say a word, which I won't repeat over over here. They would say to me, um, and I just thought, oh my God. And also I felt like a bit like a lion in a cage. Mm. If you go mm. to a zoo, can you imagine there's a, you know, there's this lion is this crawling yeah. van and you know that if that door's open, you just don't know what's going to happen when, if well, you know what's going to happen, you're going to be demolished, mm. you know. And yes. I used to feel like that at work. I used to feel... I'm just waiting for this opportunity just to um, to, to be something different. And, and and that fire within me just grew. And then I, what, I was really blessed when I went to college. I had an African um, teacher who taught me business and finance. And he sat down with me and he said, you know, Lydia, he said, you know, you are a bit different from the rest of um, your colleagues here you know and I said what do you mean and he said I just don't know if this space is for you so I speak to those of you that are listening that maybe didn't go down the route of going to university I'm not saying going to university is a wrong thing because it teaches you discipline education you make connections 
all of this is a great thing. But that's not for everybody, okay, Zizi? It's not. It's not. And you should never feel ashamed or feel that you're stupid or anything like that if you if you just feel that the, those environments aren't working for you. And I did go to college and I did study, you know, I did do a diploma, a BTEC diploma in business studies, and I did enjoy it. But I wanted not just to be listening to it in the books. I needed to be taking it somewhere else. So I remember at something like 17, 18, they asked us to do a business project and I just said, right. And I got all the girls together. And I said, why don't we just do like, um, do an event, you know? And I said, what do you mean? And I said, let's call it like an extravaganza. I remember, I remember designing the, um, together we designed the flyers and it was black and it was gold and it was called something extravaganza. And I said, right, we're going to get the mayor of, uh, mayor of um, Wimbledon. And we're going to contact the mayor of Wimbledon. They said, Lydia, the mayor of Wimbledon. I said, yep. You know, we're going to contact the mayor of Wimbledon. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go to Camden Market. Do you remember back in the day, Camden Market? Um, it used to um, have, re- East, it, not so much how it is now, but it used to be amazing back in the day. You yeah, really, it was It was shortage. It? it was shortage. Yeah. And it's now, yeah. Yeah. You know, and the clothes that you used to be able mm. to buy there. And they were just creative mecca, really. It was brilliant. So what we did is I got a group of us together. We went down there and I noticed that I was really pushing it. I had people doing different things, but um, I'd go up to the designers and I'd say, look, you know, you got great clothes, but you're only here on whatever day. What about if I gave you the opportunity to put your clothes on a platform, on a fashion show? You know, you get to sell your clothes at the event. You get to do a discount and also, you know, Get, we'll be modelling them for you and so on and so forth. And they said, you know, you have to organise insurance for us. And I just said, look, I'll, I'll write a piece of paper. If anything goes wrong, you come to me and, I, you know, whatever happens. I was just talking, you know, and I just said, well, I'll cover it. I didn't know how I was going to cover it, but that's what happened. So what happened was at college, we all massively ended up, a group of us, organising a fashion show getting the students to practice on top of their studies, to come and do this fashion show, do, you know, do catwalk modelling, you know, all of these different things. Different people came in, got DJs, got everything, sold tickets, sold the event out, Wimbledon Town Hall. The mayor of um, Wimbledon came along, gave us flowers. We were in the local newspaper. We had also branches, shops like Miss Selfridge, which, yeah, Miss Selfridge. Yeah, it still exists, yes. doesn't it? Yes, Miss Selfridge. Yes donate give us clothes as well and all we'd ha- signed I'll be honest with you was a piece of paper to say that was our insurance to cover it and obviously because we were from college and now when I look back at it I think I don't think I realized how amazing that is because if you look back and think I was only 18 yes and I- and was able to do this and get press get the mayor get all these designers from Camden to give us their clothes and and to be given a bunch of flowers at the end of it to say amazing and make money from Great it. I dream. mean, yeah. Isn't that that's 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 what we call events, isn't it? It is. It is. That is so that, that is what people get paid for. Yeah, that's what people get paid for, which I took for granted and and, and the designers trusted us. And I just thought that took a lot because I run my own business today. So I know if someone came knocking on my door, 18 There'd have to be something about them that I'd have to that say yes to. That you buy into, yes. That I buy yes. into. Yes. And um, yeah, that's what was my amazing memory. And Mr. Mongi, my teacher, just said to me, literally go out there and make it for yourself. That's what he said to me. That oh. was a teacher. He said to me, go out and do it. He said, because I just don't think this place can actually hold you. That's what he said to me. And um, that was it. I think obviously that must, if I'm speaking about him today, um, then he obviously had an influence 
in my life. And then again, I still had my parents and the other, my mum and the other end to say, go and be a secretary, go and do this, yes. you'll be paid, this, that, and the other. So, yes. I, I, so I followed what she said. I went to work for this company. They were called the, um, they're now called the Work Foundation. But at the time, they were called the Industrial Society, and they were and they were um, situated in Pall Mall, up in London, you know, near the Queen, and so on, and so on and so forth. So, I went to the interview, and I had this type of I don't know if you call it. It comes from also some of the friends that I hung with. This thing of, are you just going to get it anyway? Just go, you know. They think they're interviewing me. I'm going to interview them as well. You know, I had yes. that attitude. It wasn't yes. as though. I'm going to this interview. Obviously, I want the position, but I had this thing about me that when I walked into that interview, that I was also interviewing them as well because I needed to know: did they, you know, did I? They deserve to have me there. Mm. <laughs> they deserve to have yeah. me there. Yeah. I was a bit like that. I mean, I don't know if I hundred percent believed it, but there was something in my head that drove me to behave that way. Yeah, does that make sense to you? A hundred percent. Yeah, and. I'd say that was one of the first, I believe that very first role helped me a lot because number one, I had, you could just say I had positivity right beside negativity, you know? Yes. So I had a terrible boss who sw- used to swear at me. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> she, used to, she, used to, she used to say to me, you are at this job. Really? You know? Yeah. Can you now that if that was said in this current day, you know where she would have gone, don't yes. you? Yes. Exactly. Yes. You know wow. what would have been happening to her. You know that I probably would have had to work a day in my life. You yes. know, but um yes. I didn't know my rights or anything. I didn't know anything back then. Mm. All I knew is that it upset me. And I remember coming home and saying to my mom, This is what's happening. She says, Okay, you still have to go to work. Yeah, you still have to go. Because <laughs> they go. come from the generation. Yeah, of, yeah. Uh, that's normal. And so what? Yeah, and exactly. You keep pushing. Exactly, keep pushing. Or if I came back from school and I said, look, someone's bullying me. She said, okay, and so what? Next couple of weeks, it'd be someone else. Or if not a couple of weeks, in a few months. And she was right, you know? So she just pushed me back into situations. She didn't mollycoddle, mollycoddle me um, when those t- negative situations were happening. Um but I remember this woman, she was so horrible to me. And this was in the time when they used to, you know, they used to smoke in the office back then and stuff like, you know, you can't smoke in the office now, but then you could smoke in the yes. office and things like oh, that. Oh, goodness. One forgets, right? I know. That yeah, you forget Smoking this. indoors was Yeah, was, smoking was indoors normal. was a thing. Can you believe? Mm. And, um, and I remember thinking... This woman, I used to think she's so horrible. You know, when you just think that I used to actually used to dread going in to work. I used to dread it. Um, and I used to think this. And then I remember one day I was I was on the phone and she heard me on the phone or somebody else did. And or and something happened. They said, you just sold this thing effortlessly. Oh, wow. Uh, and I just said, well, yeah, because I just listened. Yes, yes. And But I was taking myself for granted because you can't, that's not everybody's gift. Do you, do you see what I mean? So I speak to people again out there that some of you, you I don't know if you can resonate with this yourself, that, but there'll be some things in life that God gives you, you know, yeah, yeah. Some, some talents and they become so natural. And because they're so natural, mm-hmm. people can really self-sabotage, not recognise. yes. Or um, even you, 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 the owner of it might not recognize. Yeah, yeah. Um, we 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 have a saying um, in in my household. Um, yeah. Um, and we say God gives us different talents. Um, and usually it's after someone who's done something that they're not really great at, 
Um, yeah. But everyone recognizes that something else comes so easily for them. Yeah. And, yes, and I think oftentimes because it comes so easily, you don't recognize it as a skill. Correct. And that's why I want people to recognize that. You're right. What you say is easy there because exactly what you just said, I've gone through that in my life, you know, where things, oh, surely I should be working a lot harder for this, but I am already working hard for it, but yeah. surely I should be working much harder. This should be, you know, mm-hmm. the sh- go for the thing that I shouldn't be doing, you know, work at, really hard at what I'm rubbish at. Yeah, Punish myself, push myself, do yes. this thing. And that's because what that's I'm, what we're yeah. told. We're, mm. we're, we're, we're sort of given, yes. and it's echoed through um, our educational journey, actually, yeah. because when when you begin, it's, you know, work hard so you get good at something. So if you're not automatically talented at, say, maths, for instance, but, you know, you lean more to the English and the arts, you know, but you need maths. You have to, you know, yeah. to move on in your educational path or career, you have to pass maths. And so you sort of begin, and and I think our our culture as Africans, you know, it has to feel like hard work. You have Mm. to be toiling. Mm. I think, especially when, you know, you you have, you know, immigrant parents who move from their home countries for a better life and they arrive in a society, you're surrounded by this echoing message of if it's not uncomfortable, then you're not working. Yeah, of course, you're right. And that, that plays a lot into the psyche of what then is possible. And I think, you know, in, in those days, the, the aspiration was get a good stable job. You know, my Mm -hmm. dad worked in his, in his career, same job, same, well, not same job, but same company Mm -hmm. for 44 years. Oh yeah. And, and that was normal. Oh yeah, of course. And that was the aspiration because the more you gave, like if you think of what giving 44 years to a company is, you know, that is more than half his life he gave to the same company. We're lucky. (laughs) Well, but we're lucky now if, if someone's in a role longer than two years. Correct. Correct. You know, the mobility is a huge part of, and plays a huge part actually in, in people's career journeys and looking at your, your journey, especially mm-hmm. falling into, as it were, your purpose in, in the early days and realizing that you can command a team of people and make something out of nothing. Yeah. I do also remember, um, there was an ex I, I, I dated, but he used to work in sales he was really good at business. So when you think about sales, so sales back then was seen as somewhat of a bit of a swear word, you know, a bit of a, you know, mm. word. it doesn't. Yeah. But um, I never forget when I was 14 years old, I went on a ch- church trip and the pastor said to me, he, he said to me, you are going to end up in sales. And can mm. you imagine saying that to me? Yeah. That was the biggest. Sales just, was what people did when they didn't have any other, any other talents. <laughs> But it's true. But you know, it, well, that's how yeah, we saw it in that's the how we perceived community. It. That, you only you sold because you had no other talents. You just couldn't do anything else but just talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. And so, can you imagine when I was spoken over when I was fourteen? Um, yeah. 
I was I was heartbroken. I just remember I reject that. I can imagine I remember I was thinking I'm on a camping church trip and yeah. the pastor is saying this to me. My life is over. That's it. It's finished. Oh, I've growing had, up, my, my parents yes. would tell you if you if you don't yeah. study, you see that market woman there, in yeah. the hot sun selling that tomatoes. <laughs> those would be your only options. Oh no. <laughs> or the gates man. You see the uh, gates man? Because you'd be looking at the guy, he's asleep in the hot sun. <laughs> like, like, don't study. These yeah. are your options. I know. You know, can you, can you such imagine? an interesting parenting style. It is, it is, isn't it? That fear, the fear they instill in you to study. But it's know, a reality. Well. But yeah. it's a reality yeah. coming from, yeah. you know, if you think of yeah. Yeah, the yeah, context of, of the African community, <laughs> yeah. if, if you yeah. didn't push to excel, your yes. options are mm-hmm. limited because limited. it's a it's a society that does not have the structure and and I yeah. think there's some element of truth you know in growing up in the UK it's a completely different world in 2022 yeah. versus the 90s or the 80s of course correct Def- definitely definitely because you know I grew up in the 80s and stuff like that so and and you know, sales, like sales assistant were jobs you did for the weekend, you know, were to, to finance whatever you were doing. But they were, it was there's nothing wrong with retail, let me tell you that now. But it was seen as, to a family like mine, from background, it was just, no, no it wasn't the thing to be told. It's but, like being the gets man. Yeah, it's, it's like that. But what he was actually, he didn't use... Um, he, my, my pastor was, we, we, you know, we, we lived and grew up in Fulham and he was from Chinese heritage. And, you know, so actually the words that he spoke was, what he was actually saying to me was, you have a gift of persuasion. Does that make mm. sense? What he yes. was saying, he, you know, and when you think about sales, what is sales? Sales is the art of communication, the art of selling an idea and having somebody say yes to it. Okay. And then when I, have, and, uh, you know, and, um, and I just said, why did you say that to me? Why? And I remember just questioning him. And he just said to me, um, you know, when you are ready, when you're ready to sit down and be counseled by me, you will come back to me as well. So he was, but what it is, is that C and I, you know, when you just look at people, mm-hmm. you, when you see your nephew or your niece or your children, you can just see things. And obviously he saw giftings in me that I wasn't able to see myself or even that my family members were not able to, able to see in me. And it takes that at times. So what, when, but when I followed the trail and then my, one of my exes, he uh, taught me the skill of communication. He said, right, sit in front of me, and I'm going to train you to do a job interview. And by the time he finished training me for this job interview, I was sweating. Yeah. Okay. I'm talking yes. about physical sweat. So something something had transformed in me, by the way. And he said, when you're given this question, overcome it with that. This one, you overcome it with that. And and, it, and because I was so young at the time, uh, when I say young, I was like 18, 19, it had a massive impact on me. So therefore, I feel that's what inf- yeah, that has that is what had influenced me when I had while I was in a position to be interviewed. So when I went for the interview with the Industrial Society, I remember thinking, blah, 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 blah. And I said my piece. And next one, they contacted me and said, you've got the job. And I was like, okay, 
Right. Got the job. I told you I had the worst woman from hell as my boss. She used to swear, swear words over the negativity, tell me I was rubbish, tell me all these things, you know, and um, it was wrong. But then, like I said, what happened was I had a situation where it was a company that sold events. They were a, tra- they were a training events organization and they were in a field of what we call today the biggest industry in the world. Personal development is one of the biggest industries in the world. And um, they sold training to CEOs, event teams of people. Oh. So to make sure that environments were good so people had the skills right to if you were if you know communication skills how to present all these things right so imagine I've yeah. got I've got this at 18 years I say sent me on training workshops and they just they threw me at everything even though I had that most negative experience besides it when they saw that I was good with people I was in this situation where I was put on these training courses oh. And so that really helped build me. So you're upskilling, yeah. There's something you touched on that I think um, I I would love to explore Mm -hmm. more, which is which is the concept that you don't you don't actually have to work at communicating, or you don't have to work at the softer skills that determine success. But everyone knows every Mm -hmm. large corporation has internal coaches. Yeah. Now. Mm. There's something in yeah. that that I think gets lost in the source, especially within our community, where we start to think of and and today I and it'll be interesting to to hear your your views on this sensationalist explosion of coaches on social media, <laughs> um, because as someone who is trained, experienced. Yeah. And, and has worked within some of the top organizations mm. as a coach. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest contributor to this idea of coaching? Um, and especially from those who don't necessarily have the receipts, as it were, to, mm. to be in these positions. And, and there's something... You know, and without using, you know, the word predator, there's something about it that I feel, especially our community tends to shy away from because there's something, there's something about it that for for most of them, and and I would say for myself, I'm skeptical. Really? In the beginning, yes. Like when I, when I Mm. meet someone and they say they're a coach (laughs) and and what, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to invest in my mental health. I see a therapist and all of these yeah. things. But when mm-hmm. it comes to something like coaching and, you know, you have career coaches, et cetera, within our community, I think there is a, we almost, we see it the same way as we see, you know, doctors and, and certain parts of, of medicine. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I often wonder where that comes from. Yeah, that okay. Again, yeah, I understand. I understand. Um, well, yes. Um, well, it goes a bit like this. If you think I can, it's it's a quite ironic that within our community, the African community, that we might second guess a coach, but we will never second guess a degree, never or a masters, never or letters. Yes, never. That's just a given. What you have it doctorate? Yeah, exactly. Add that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
add it all so with our full chest <laughs> it's true but and i know it's, it's because education has always been seen as a ticket to freedom mm. a ticket to a, a different life mm-hmm. you know an elevated next level leverage your life type thing and also, the next beside that, what's the next thing beside education? Is church, isn't it? You know, is is that spiritual life is seen as the next thing? Now, why wouldn't you go to church, or why wouldn't you be praising? It's virtue in that. At least, you know, it's virtue, it's, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> exactly. So there's that, but yet when this coaching comes along, which is I see is a mixture of the two. That's how my eyes. I see it's a mixture of the two. It's education and spiritual, both at the same time, you know, mm-hmm. because we all have things within us that can limit can limit us if we don't allow ourselves to change. So with me, because I, I probably went through the route of the theatrical roots. I mean, I say theatrical, the theory roots, you know, practical roots. So not in theory, because everybody's at college, uni, whatever, doing it in theory, some practice. But I went through the practical route because that's the way I learn. I learn yes. by doing and seeing, and this yes. is me. And and that was, that, that's just who I am. And it took me a long time to actually acknowledge that that was my unique way and it was a, an intelligent way and it was a smart way because sometimes you can meet people from university who've been educated with all the letters or the alphabets after their name and they might just think they're so much higher than somebody else and which is pretty sad because I've, I've met some people with all the letters after their name oh. yet the only thing they can do is recite is the ABC but nothing much else after that you know so it's not so much what you're give for, and, and my husband yesterday he said he went somewhere he showed them the you know the qualification he, they said not interested in that we want to see what you can do yes you know and this is the reality of the workplace yeah. and this yeah, this is the reality of the workplace. But for me, I feel I feel for me, my coaching life, um, it wasn't probably called coach at the time, falls from when I had people like um my pastor speak over my life, say to me, You're gonna become a salesperson whenever you need me, whenever you're ready to talk through these limiting thoughts that I yes. think that you have about yourself, you know, come to me when you're ready and I'd be like, What's he talking about? But whenever I'd be certain things I'd be living my life and his words would always ring in my ears, you know, and then when I think about my life changing moments or the ex of mine had taught me how to present myself, mm. show my worth, take dominance in that interview. And he said, don't let them think they're interviewing you. You are interviewing them. You know, ask them what happened to the last person that was in this role? Why did they leave? And that's the, that's the last thing they were expecting me to say. So I said, this is really great about this position. It sounds really exciting. All these opportunities. So what happened to the last person that was in this role? Yes. Did they get promoted? How long did it take for them to rise up through the ranks within this business? Do you invest in your people? You know, what can I expect from you? Obviously, I've told you everything that I'm willing to give you. I'm willing to give you everything, but I also need to know that what you're going to give me as well, because it takes two. And when you, when I know that I'll be taken care of, you're going to get the best out of me, which means the business will flourish and so will I. Yes. So that's what I'm all about. So, so I'm, I'm waiting. Tell me. And that some of the, some of them would laugh at me and go, oh my gosh, this young one, she's really confident in herself. But I was respectful. Uh, however, I was respectful because you were brought up in an African household. Yes. You respect your elders, you respect people and so on. But I, I still had that fire within me, even though I felt that I wasn't the full ticket in, when I was 18, 19, 20. But what happened was after I finished working for that business, I had all the training. I moved into business development. It wasn't called business development at the time, but that's exactly what it was. 
I was working there making £10,000 a month for the department. Incredible. That's a lot of money, even in today's yes, standards, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, for one, from, from one employee, yes. That's yeah. 120k a year that you're generating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I generated for them back then. And, um, and I was like, wow. And um, anyway, so I did that. And then afterwards, I just thought, you know what? Zizi, I'm bored. Mm. I'm bored. I need mm. to move on. And so I just thought, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to work abroad. And my mum said, pardon? You've just, she was so proud that I had this job. She was so proud. She'd be so proud when I'd turn up in my outfit, my suit, and she'd show me off to all her friends at work and go, that's my daughter. And of course, I, I, I understand that. But I just said, I have to travel. I said, there's got to be more to life than this. And while I'm young, I need to do it now. And um, she wasn't very happy with me, but I did. And Zizi, I walked into this agency and I said to them, I want a job. And I said, um, it's got to be, I don't know why I'm choosing Italy. I said, I put my finger on the map. Italy's where my finger fell. So that's where I'd like to go. And um, can you get me a job? And they said, what can you do? And, I, and they said, can you speak the language? I just said, I'm learning. I wasn't. Um, I said, I'm learning. And they said, okay, you can go out and become an au pair. So do you remember back in the day, people used to go out? Yes. Still, people still do it now. I was an au pair, did that, went to Italy, learnt the language because I was thrown in the situation, experienced um, some levels of um, prejudice when I was there, but then also had some great times when I was there. So I began to see this pattern in life that you're going to have real terrible things happen to you in life. Challenging things will happen, but also great things will come from that as well. You know, so that's that's a promise in life. And I, and I remember thinking to myself, there is no way, even though I don't like it here, I'm coming home because I, I don't want to turn around and say that I didn't achieve the thing that I said I was going to achieve. Yeah. And then when I was in Italy, it was the Journalism Awards. Somebody said to me, do you want to be in the Journalism Awards? And I said, doing what? And they said, filming you. And I said, you're not going to film me. There's not going to be a naked, not going to be just be filming, use my face and then have some naked body on the screen and my family going to see it. (laughs) My life's over. And they said, no. And that's exactly what I did. And I remember being paid something like, it seemed to me me like a lot of money at the time, but £500 for an hour's work to walk up and down a beach and for the Journalism Awards to be part of this video for Enzo Tavlari, which is a very famous Italian singer. And I did that. And there were these, I just found that some of these magical things were happening to me. So then I came back and I've, so basically I worked in Europe for a few years. All this built my personality and character, um, even though they weren't all great experiences, but they just added to me. You know, they were just, they were stacking. And then what happened was I finally landed this job working with an event management company. And when I was there, started off doing that. And then one day this lady from Motorola came in. She managed million dollar accounts. And I remember um, everybody was afraid of her because they were afraid of losing the contract. Yes. But they, they were late with a piece of work. And they said, just blag it, Lydia. And I just said, so I just got her on the phone. I said, listen, I won't say her name. I said, can I speak to you honestly? She said, yeah. I said, you know what? They, it's, the work's just not ready, okay? I said, the work is just not ready. But can you tell me, is this, are you actually giving us the real deadline? How much time do we have to achieve this thing for you? Because I don't want to come and lie to you. You know, I just not. You know, and she just said to me, I really appreciate your honesty. And I said, okay. And um, and so she was aware of her power and aware that at the same time that stopped people t- from telling her the mm-hmm. truth mm-hmm. and being really honest with her. Anyway, to cut a long story short, she just said, because you've done this thing for me, 
She goes, there's more to you than that job you're doing. You know, this is why I was a project coordinator. And I said, okay. So she said, I'd love you to get involved with the live events. I said, do it what? And she said, let's just get you managing artists. I said, what, you want me to be managing celebrities? And she said, yeah. She said, it's going to be tough, but you can do it. And at that point, I said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a coach. So I read this book, How to Become Your Own Life Coach. And I thought, I'm going to commit to this and do every exercise because what have I got to lose? So I think all this was happening serendipitously at the same time. Mm. So I was pushing myself. I was being a bit bold. I think, you know, all these different seeds were planted. And um, and that's what I did. So I um, was reading a book and then I was noticing all these different things were changing for me as well. And I got the opportunity to go to this live event, be at... Um, Ells Court, I think there's about 5,000 people over a space of three, every day there was, four, so 15,000 people over the weekend, looked after, you know, um, Jamelia, looked after um, So Solid, looked after Romeo, looked after the Blazing Squad, mm. looked after all of these people, and I'd meet them, you know, looked, I looked after Edith Bowman from, you know, Capital, all of these people, and uh, Javine, all the, all those artists of that time that were really famous. And when I was with them, I noticed they felt really comfortable in my presence. And they would all talk to me and have confidential conversations with me, which I'll never repeat. And I also noticed that I cared for them as well. So I cared for, not that they showed, but they were the first people to show me that I care for people, but I was interested in their outcome. So before they go on stage, I go, right, you know, this is what's going to be like, this is what's happening. Okay, this is what's happening. You're going to be doing this. You're going to be doing this. Be confident. Go out there, blah, blah, blah. And then they would tell, and then I would see the other side to them that other people probably wouldn't see. Yes. And, and I thought, you know what? I've got a natural thing here where these artists, people in very pressurized roles, take confidence in having me around. And I thought, that's not easy. And then I had my woman from uh, Motorola, in a way, being a bit of a mentor to me and telling me to, if there were situations that I found tough, she just told me, if you want to be in this industry, toughen up, get some thick skin, you know? And I said, I'd be like, okay, a bit similar to like my mom's presence. She was a bit like that. So I've had these people around me. And so it went from there that my career path just changed. So when, as soon as I got given that opportunity to be at live events, she spoke it over me. I followed through. And then I just I just had this in my head that I want to basically look after artists, coach them, help them. So if you think about it, mm. it's a bit about being really good with words, being mm. good with communications and being good with people, helping people feel confident, people listening to you, guide them, you coach them, you direct them, you're managing their PR. It kind of like involves, evolves into one do you see what I mean Zizi mm-hmm. so that's how yeah. it happened I think I think oftentimes the yeah. power in communication can get lost I guess moving into that th- there's yeah. something in your journey that speaks to I think something that you're passionate about mm-hmm. um, but linking the two um, which is being black and undervalued yeah if mm-hmm. we can touch on the parts that make that possible and I know you've mentioned sort of things around identity and appreciating your gifts etc um Mm -hmm. 
but there's something about this consistently happening across our community. Yeah. Within it and outside of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess the question is, in in your view, and also having conducted the Black Pound report and worked with, yeah. you know, various institutions, mm-hmm. where does it come from? What the um, the lack of self belief, or well, I, I think m- more the concept that there's less value placed. Oh, yes. a, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, wow. There's so many things you could point it towards. Historic history. Mm. You know, we kicked off the conversation to tell who tells the story gets heard the most, and we all know about the African diaspora. We all know about you know the slave trade. We know about transatlantic slavery, and we all know about generational um, lessons and stories that are passed on and that informs your identity and so on and so forth. So, the African slave. Um, slavery story is the most told story ever Mm. it is the most and sometimes I ask myself this question imagine I lived in that time and it's 100 years from or 200 what would I want for my future generation I ask myself and then I'd I'd say I would never like to be forgotten because I don't want to be forgotten even now right so I'm doing legacy right while I'm living now I wouldn't want to be forgotten but I'd always want better because, you know, everything I'm doing now, because I want better for people I will never meet, you know, don't forget. It'll be happening for people I'll never meet. So I'd imagine that people from 100 years back, 200, 300, 400 years back, who, who went through that disgusting, you know, horrible experience mm. would want us to remember them and to do better and be better, right? That's what I truly believe you know, and if that's, but then there's other stories that also have to be told. We are responsible for, that's not the only story, you know, there's some great stories. If you want to know about heart operations, if you want to know about mm. the traffic lights, We're if innovators. you want to know about the toilet seat, if you want to know, you know, about um, the, catar- the first cataract operation who created that the sat nav on your phone all of these things we know that like you say we're innovators so there's so much more um to us we think about frederick Douglass. we think about harriet tubman we think about mary mary uh mcleod bethune in spite in spite of in spite of in spite of and then if you think back to the times we also, we also go back to Egyptian history and so on and so forth, the periods of Nubia. And if you think about books that were written or stories that were told, the creations that were made, they were even doing surgery back then, you know, mm-hmm. they were even doing surgery back then. The stories that show you all of that. So what's happened today underneath the sun, it's just been improved. You know, uh, what I'm doing now is improved by what was done way before me. You know, I'm building upon what was done before me. Um, yes, something original is coming out of me. It's called the Black Power Report or being a coach or being an author or being an innovator. However, I'm off, I'm, I am standing, and so are you, on the shoulders of those that have done something similar to us before, but we're, t- we're doing it through our channel mm. and through our vessel. That's what's happening. So I'm of the belief that, look, everyone's, there's different people out there, Zizi, that will 
champion different things. So my path is to champion our greatness. My path is, yes, I will speak about the um, the inequalities, mm. but I also want to mix it up with a bit of how my life has been. There's been positivities and there's been negativities and there's been positives. So I like to sandwich it because I know energy, spiritual faith is a real thing. And we know the words are powerful. And I know because I've had words of, I've had most terrible words and actions spoken over me, but then I've also had the most empowering and lifted words. And I've seen, I've seen both what translates out of both. And I know what I prefer. And so what I prefer is a choice. It's actually a choice. And it's not every day is the perfectly glow day, but I certainly, I certainly know how to get myself out of something, get myself back to something mm. because of what I keep putting inside of me. You know, your successes, as you say, you're the, you know, the luxury brands, what you're doing, the amount of listeners you've attained already by season three. Okay. So it's what you've been doing behind the scenes that enables you to do what you've, what is seen in front of the scenes. So, um, but I can understand. And then what happens is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy within our own communities because then we start repeating upon our own children or to our own selves the very words that were spoken over ourselves. We've got to stop that. You know, we can't look to anybody else to do that for us. You cannot. You just cannot. I'm sorry. Um, I know there's, I, I know about inequalities. I know racism is wrong. I know that discrimination is wrong. All of these things. And of course, when we come together and stronger together and empower each other, then we can display a different message to the world. Mm-hmm. However, if I was to sit here every day going, you owe me, you need to do this for me, it will not happen. And that's the and I and I that's my belief. And not everybody maybe listening to me will like what I've said there. But um we have to make this change for ourselves. And that's I'm doing one, but I am making the change. But however, it's about inviting people in a very psychologically smart way to come alongside you Mm. and do your very best to make it a win-win yeah are you with me I'm with you I I guess Mm. on 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 the note of success um Mm -hmm. how would you define success that's a very good question I get asked that question so many times and you can ask you can say success is being a billionaire that would be a bit of success you know being a billionaire millionaire you know but having good health is really important. <laughs> Waking up every day and having good health is a success, okay? Because that means you've always got room to start again. However, it's about you deciding for you what that is for you. It's got to be personal to anybody that's listening. You have to define, does success mean to you being happily, is it being happily married, having children? Or is it having a business, having a career, creating a legacy? Is it all of it together? You decide what's what's successful for you. But for me, what it means to me is actually having an influence, having an impact. I wouldn't want to live this life without knowing that I've made a difference in this space that I've been in. Mm. No, no, no. I, I believe that I was born for something mm. and to make, a, to make a difference. And so making a difference is quite broad. So I, I believe I'm born to turn around the negative experiences that I've been through turn them into positives, show myself, first of all, that it's possible and then show others it's possible. Because if you can't show yourself, then you'll only be faking it to show other people. You know, you have to be real and do the work inside yourself. Sometimes I find that 
we can be, um, I think we're changing. Sometimes we can cover up and say, oh, yes, everything is fine. Mm, everything is great. Yeah. But behind the scenes, we could be suffering. We could need help. We might need to reach out and be vulnerable. Actually, I think you're more powerful when you're vulnerable, but in the right space. It's not just to anybody, of course. You have to be mindful and discerning who decide to share your pearls with and hope they come back not crushed, you know. And and But sometimes you'll never know because sometimes the people that you think that, yeah, there's absolutely no way that they're going to do this, they do. And the people that you doubt end up not. So that's, that's yes, life for you. Very true. Have you not, have you not experienced that? A hundred percent. Sometimes it could be close people in your proximity that might not have the best um, interest for you. Yeah. And the reason they might not have their best interest for you is their own shout, is their own story, mm. is their own. You never experience. know what you never know what anyone's going through. Um, no, you do not. What would you say has helped you along the way? In my life, I would say what having faith. Number one, having that that mindset is everything. So faith, having belief in God, you know, and then. God helps, what we used to say to me, God helps those who help themselves. And that's absolutely true. So you can't just sit there waiting on God, you know. Of course, you get people say wait on God, but you have to move, you know. <laughs> you have to you have to move. Um, self, I prefer, I love reading books. I'm always listening and listening to Audible, reading books consistently. I love to interview people and, you know, or listen to people's stories, take nuggets from that as well having love in my life, good people around me that love me. It doesn't have to be a lot of people, but as long as I know that I've got people that are around me that super actually do care for me and that I can just, you know, um, take the cape off. You know, sometimes we can be so... I remember once before I interviewed uh, Miss Dynamite and she said this phrase of being too strong for too long, mm. you know? Mm. And I, when she said that, there's something that really resonated. Sometimes we can be too strong for too long. So it's noticing when you need to just put your feet up, go for a retreat, take, you know, switch off, cry, do what you need to do, but come back, make sure you're coming, make sure you come back. So, I make sure that I get coaching um, myself. I have a coach that coaches me, coaches me or, you know, or, or if I haven't got a coach for those people out there that think, oh my gosh, I'd love to have a coach, but I can't afford one. Well, you know what, invest in Audible or listen to YouTube, listen to your podcast like yours, Easy. There's, there's always something you can do to educate yourself, even from ground zero from ground zero, you can start. There's no excuse for anybody. If you can't even afford a counsellor, you can listen to a church service online or you can listen to something online. You know, you can push yourself. There's something out there that you can do to take yourself from where you are to where, to the beginnings of where you'd like to be. So what's helped me is having, nurturing my brain at all times, training myself and really going for things. When I did the first Black Pound report, even my own husband, I'll be honest with you, he was like, you know, you're not working right now. You're just literally putting, yeah. every, you're putting everything on me. And, and this, But I just said, I've been called to do this. And he said, I think you've been watching too much telly, you know? <laughs> yeah. You've been, you've been watching it. You're sowing the said, seed that no one can see. 
Yeah. And I did the odd thing, but not that much. The house was, un, you know, pressures under the house, mortgage people ringing up, this, that, and the other. Everything was coming at me. But that day when I went to an event, and I, I and, and do you know the thing is, there's that saying when when you hardly have anything. You know, when you see yes. those movies and you see the people, they've got hardly anything, but they're so bold and they've got the faith and you say, ah, oh, this is just a movie. You've got nothing but, to lose. You've got when you've got nothing to lose. When you're in front of somebody that has nothing to lose, they're a very dangerous person. Don't stay in. The, don't stand in their way. So I would. I was literally like a razor. So I'd got like a laser, laser, like a laser gun. So I'd go out. I'd talk about my vision. If someone was coming at some negativity or not speaking life to it, I go end the conversation. Thank you. That's that is bye. Move on to the next. And then I went to this event. I saw it online. And I said, and I reached out to the person. I said, I want to come to this event. I'm doing this thing, blah, blah. And I'll share all my knowledge with them. And they said to me, are you a, are you a financial broker? I said, why? They said, your knowledge is like, you know. And, mm. and, I just, and I thought, wow, I've learned all these things, you know. I thought, here we go again. This is labels that are coming up with, but I, this is a good one. So I, um, I just said, I just know a lot about my business. And they said, okay, come. Then she said, if I'd met you sooner, you'd be on the stage. I'd love you to have been on the stage. And I said, just get me VIP tickets and let me be at the front. And I said, and I'll contribute to the conversation. I said, I think you're going to need me. Many people will be in the audience and they want to ask a question. They won't. But with me, I will. And she said, OK. So I got this ticket, went to this event. It was at BBC. Who was there? Saatchi. Mm. Saatchi and Saatchi were there. A lady from Saatchi and Saatchi was there. So I, we ended up having a conversation, told her about my vision. She felt the vision. She wanted to become part of it. There, Bob's your uncle. There you go. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, the launch is there. I said, "Will you? Will you launch my um Black Pound report?" And I said, "Better still, will you do all this?" And they said, "Yeah, we'll do it all for you." Well, of course they did. When you think about it now, they were smart. They were like, "It was good for them to yes. do so." Yes, wasn't it? Yes, this is true. And it was, it was amazing. And then Channel Four came along. I mean, Channel Ooh. Four, BBC, all the chat, Sky, everybody was there. Everybody from everywhere came. Yeah. Everywhere. It, you only know, takes, it only ever takes one yes. person. Yeah. And that was amazing. I, I love this quote and I mm. probably will paraphrase, but you don't yeah. have to be able to predict the future. No. Um, in order to play a big part today. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite quote? Oh gosh. <sighs> I just what is my favorite quote? I I don't know where it came from, but I just, the biggest thing it would be is, oh yeah, that's it. What people say about you does not have to become any of your business. Does that mean mm. it's none of your business? You don't have to become that. I don't think it's exactly that. So I'll paraphrase like you did, but what it is, is that the words, CZ, that somebody will speak over you does not have to become your reality, you know? And what people have to say about you is none of your business. Because when you make what people say about you, your business, your life is done. It's over. And true. another one is, actually, now you've asked me, is get out of your head, otherwise you're dead, right? And because you know we have that chatterbox that can go on. And that chatterbox can tell you some very bad things. You're no good. You can't do that. They're going to laugh at you. So, so, if you, so that's why... They say uh, one of the coaches, I think it's Tony Robbins, says every it's eighty percent psychology and twenty percent physio. No, eighty percent, yeah, eighty percent psychology and physiology, and the rest is in action. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Eighty so percent 
of and everything I do believe is mindset. That's why you have to be careful who you surround yourself with, the conversations you'll get into, because I'm sure you've experienced this before. You would have been in a conversation or been in the space of people, and before you know it, it feels as though you've had the vampires just, just taking away everything mm. about you, and you just got you're left with nothing. So you and that's not put, I don't mean that to say to put people down because people can have a bad day and not give off good vibes. I'm not talking about that. I'm so, I'm talking about that. Um, your ideas. That's why it says in the Bible, don't cast your pearls amongst pigs. And it's only when you get older you realize that. Oh my gosh, I really now know what these say. What these Bible quotes or these quotes mean. Mm. You know who you surround that, yourself with is incredibly yeah. important. Or what you cannot do does not, you know, what you cannot do does not exist, God. You know, there's that saying that what and and it's so true, and yes. it, and it's and it's so so true. But um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like we need another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been incredible having you on the show, Lydia, and thank you your openness. And I I think that the one thing that sticks out the most with your career and, and what you've been able to do is is being fearless um yeah. and also mm-hmm. and also leaning into being inquisitive and questioning um and, and question why not you know um i think that that is so profound um and speaks volumes around you know some of the anecdotal stories that you've you've shared um today yeah. so yeah, thank you. Um, I, I think mean, you're incredible and I think the work you've you. done especially in the UK to highlight the value of yeah. you know every black brown yeah every black brown um, individual whatever cross intersection whatever yeah consumer um has really mm-hmm. been pivotal in moving um the conversation forward and 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 we're yeah, seeing we're seeing representation of ourselves um, across, we are. We across are different spaces. Um, and we are. We are. if you think of each each and every one of your experiences, um, mm-hmm. n- none were lost. Um, e- each one had to happen to bring you to the point that you're at now. Um, so thank you so much for um, giving your time, coming on the show, sharing your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. And um, I can't wait to listen to the show. And my last thing I'll say to all the listeners um, from whoever's listening uh, beyond the African diaspora and beyond that, you know, but first of all, to the African listeners or from people from Africa, you know, black and brown people from all the intersections, whoever you are, whatever your agenda, whatever it is about you that it's really important that you have to write a vision down. I know I'm not the first person, I won't be the last person to say it, but I always write things down. If I want to achieve something, and you never know when, like you said about being a predictor, you never know when that's going to happen. I never knew that in lockdown, that I did the first piece of research, but in the lockdown when everybody, all the consumer, all the news, all the economists were talking Mm. about, we're doomed, look at society, look what's happening. But that was, again, that moment I went to do the Black Power Report and, you know, if I'm allowed to mention them, News UK, um, who do the Times, um, supported me to do it the second time round, and Channel 4 did as well. And 
they are invested in it and they have delivered campaigns for like Tesco's NHS using Black Pound Report data because it gives more insights to who we are. So it's by us for us, isn't it? And there has never been anyone in the United Kingdom that has ever funded data and has also got partners to deliver data, which data informs everything. Or that has explored the Black Asian and multi-ethnic consumer in the United Kingdom. Our spend, our income, our spending power after paying everything is 4.5 billion per year. You know, um, what we spend is incredible. So just remember that brands need you, businesses need you. And it is challenging out there, but do not give up. Be careful how you speak about yourself. Be careful who you associate yourself with. Keep it positive. Be mindful of what you're going to share online, you know, and make sure you've got a support network for yourself when you do have those moments. And listen to podcasts like this. Keep building yourself up and get a coach and invest in yourself because you'll never lose from investing in yourself. Very sound advice. Yeah. Very sound. Thank Thank you you. so much, Lydia. Thank Thank you you, for coming on the show. Take care. Thank you to over 20,000 of you that have tuned in and have continued to tune in. Because of you, our show is now distributed on Vodacom Africa's platform, My Muse. Your support helps make this show bigger and better. If you're a fan of the show, we would love to know. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and join our community with weekly newsletters curated just for you. Check out our free resources on entrepreneurship, productivity, finance, and leadership at thirdcultureafricans.com. You can now catch special episodes with video on YouTube at Third Culture Africans. Let's connect on Instagram and Facebook at Third Culture Africans. Let's do this. Thank you.